0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. It is Thursday, glad you're with me. Hopefully you're staying dry, but uh, again, this is the time of year that we expect this sort of stuff. And just think, look at all those blooming trees out there right now, and and I realize they give you uh, allergy fits for many of you, but they are quite pretty. It's nice to see the apple blossoms, pear blossoms, cherry blossoms, all that good stuff finally coming in bloom in our community. And uh, that's what the rain does, makes all that stuff possible. So we can tolerate it for just a little bit longer. All right, coming up on today's program, we are going to take a look at where things stand with the auto insurance debate. We had this discussion yesterday because the Senate acted, well, yesterday late afternoon after I did the podcast, we got word that the House was going to take up their own version of it a little bit later on. And while it is slightly different from the Senate's version, it still has something that ticks off just about everybody, which means that maybe, maybe they're on the path to a decent piece of legislation. We'll talk a little bit about that with Susan Demas of MichiganAdvanced.com in just a couple of moments. And also, some thoughts on the passing of Bob Berg. Now, Bob Berg, of course, was the spokesman for uh, Coleman Young for many, many years, uh, and an interesting guy that I got to know a little bit. uh, And uh, we lose him, of course, in his late 70s and after a long battle with cancer. Uh, Just an incredible guy, and uh, we'll talk a bit about that coming up on the program. So stay with me for The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hey, thanks for joining me for The Craig Show today on this Thursday. And uh, while you were sleeping, Lansing was busy last night. Uh, A bit of a surprise that the state house decided to hold a 2 a.m. vote on an auto insurance package last night that differs slightly from the Senate version I told you about yesterday. So where do things stand right now? How likely are we to reach a deal on this issue anytime soon? Is the governor going to be on board? Well, let's talk to Susan Demas at michiganadvance.com about what is happening in Lansing. And Susan, I'm recognizing that, uh, you know, there's nothing that a Capitol reporter likes more than a 2 a.m. vote, although typically we expect that maybe in lame duck or at the end of the session, not in the middle of May.
1: Right. And we haven't even gotten to the budget yet. So I'm sure this is the first of several long sessions this year.
0: (laughs) Well, it was a bit of a surprise. I mean, I I knew that they were working on some working groups and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do on the auto insurance issue. They've got studies going on. Uh, Why the fast track all of a sudden on this legislation on both the Senate and the House sides?
1: Yeah, I think that this really boils down to the MACNA policy conference that everybody loves to go to at the end of the month. Um, It's hosted by the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce, which has actually come out in support of uh, a couple of the governor's key proposals, including that $0.45 gas tax that isn't the most popular thing on earth. Um, And... um, What you have is a scenario where lawmakers, especially these Republican leaders that control the House and the Senate, are set in a couple weeks to go up north and get their brains beaten in by lobbyists from the Detroit Chamber and elsewhere who really want to see a solution to roads and do not want to see a government shutdown um, over the budget. Um, They don't have a plan for roads yet, and so... I think the strategy here is, well, we did something on car insurance, which is an issue that most people in Michigan um, hate. They hate their high rates. So look, we've done something on this. Um, Now the governor should come to us and deal with us on our priorities.
0: Well, you know, I'm wondering, Susan, because there were a number of people that were suggesting that the way to make an increase in the gas tax more palatable was to do something uh, to reduce the cost of auto insurance so that if motorists were going to be paying more at the pump, they'd at least be getting something back in their wallets on their insurance costs, which in many ways could basically mitigate uh, that increase that they're expecting. Uh, but I, they were going to be tied together in a lot of ways. Does so this kind of ruin that potential compromise deal that that everybody was sort of thinking might be on the table?
1: Well, you know, in theory, this sounds great because you actually have two issues that are somewhat you know, in the I, same ballpark, which and have been incredibly
0: like, difficult.
1: Right. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of times deals and Lansing have to do with things that have nothing to do with one another. So, um, you know, like we saw in Lane Dock, um, you know, a budget bill where, you know, we're funding ski lifts and, you know, schools and roads at the same time. So, um, you know, it, it sounds great in theory, Um until you start considering the fact that we haven't been able to come up with any kind of a solution for auto insurance in decades. So this is an enormously complicated issue. The budget is complicated. You're talking about $60 billion and, you know, a substantial gas tax on top of all of the facets of the the budget. So you're talking about pretty much every lobbyist in in Lansing and the state of Michigan um, with various interests, trying to fight each other over aspects of this deal. So you can see how it could fall apart really quickly. Then when you consider the fact that Republicans didn't even bother negotiating with Democrats or the Democratic governor on this auto insurance plan, um, it, it begins to look a lot less like trying to get a deal and a lot more like staking out positions and posturing.
0: Okay, I I don't disagree with you on that point. And and my podcast yesterday focused a lot on the fact that it seems like the same old fault lines uh, were emerging here that we've seen in years past on this. I I was, though, there was a little glimmer of of hope on my part when I saw that the House package differed from the Senate package in that there was some guarantees of at least a rate decrease. If indeed people make this switch to, uh, you know, unlimited PIP coverage uh, to something that actually has a cap. Uh, There's talk about an actual rate schedule. Uh, that's in there which is kind of a big deal and and the house side as well Um, you know obviously they would sunset those guaranteed savings which the democrats aren't going to like but the house at least sort of recognized that there's going to have to be some sort of compromise if they're going to get the governor to sign off so do you have any hope that maybe maybe there's wiggle room for compromise here
1: oh i think there definitely is and i think Democrats are far happier with the House package than the Senate package. I mean, you know, you have the unlimited medical coverage as an option. Um, You have a five-year rate rollback mandate, although what happens after that? And you had some addressing of the issue of non-driving factors, which are huge, especially for um, lawmakers that represent Detroit. Um, But, you know as far as Democrats are concerned, none of it went far enough. Um, as far as, you know, the medical community that has really been a huge proponent of the no-fault insurance system, um, they're very concerned about these rollbacks in coverage and about gaps in coverage if people decide to forgo comprehensive coverage for auto insurance, rely on their, their medical insurance because, you know, it's not in it, it's not a one-to-one situation where everything that was covered under no fault gets covered under all medical insurance policies.
0: So Yeah. And it certainly seems as if it's going to impact, again, the medical insurance community as well, because they will likely have to revamp some of their policies uh, in an effort to meet this.
1: Right. And then, you know, hospitals are very concerned that it's basically a cost shift to them. So, you know, you have an enormous amount of of groups and people who are impacted by this issue. But well, I think too. it's fair to say, yeah, I think it's fair to say that the House plan is closer to what the governor and Democrats would be comfortable with, but it's not quite there. And, you know, if, if they wanted a real solution, probably having Democrats in the room may have gotten them there. Um, this week, but that was not part of the process.
0: Well, interestingly enough, I mean, the House bypassed the, the committee process on this altogether yesterday. Um, you know, there there's supposed to be a couple of different committee hearings on this, uh, an opportunity for a testimony, an opportunity for people to speak about what they like or dislike about these bills. Why did they decide that this was something that they needed to do yesterday and especially yesterday night? Because I think we got word that they were going to do this at about, what, three thirty, four in the afternoon yesterday?
1: Yeah, yeah, we we're hearing whispers earlier in the day. Um, the uh, the House Republicans didn't send out an agenda to the media, which is often a tip-off that something's going on. <laughs> sure. um, although, you know, I've, I've gotten plenty of agendas where the biggest things, you know, just don't appear like right to work in 2012. So um, another example of legislation rushed through without the committee process, which, you know, is always a tell that, um, you know, this is not something that's born out of careful negotiation and taking all the evidence into account. It's um, either we're politically posturing on something or uh, this has been presented to um, the legislative leaders by the lobbyists that usually write the legislation with, hey, this is what we want. Can you get the votes? And you pop it on the floor. So, Um, You know, I I really think that um, most people don't really pay attention to the committee process because, you know, people have lives unlike me. I'm not to um, and to cover all this. But, um, you know, for people who um, have been watching the issue and and have been watching politics, at least um, tangentially, it's a pretty good indication that things aren't fully baked if you rush them through at two in the morning.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And now, obviously, this is uh, going to go to the, the conference uh, committee process because you've got a Senate bill and a House bill uh, that cover the same things, but obviously look at them a little bit differently. And typically, if you get to that point, there there is some room for negotiation. But if you're a Democrat in Lansing right now and you're looking at the two proposals, the House proposal far better. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily give you everything that you want. Nobody's going to get everything they want on this, obviously. But the, the Senate version only deals with the PIP issue and that mandatory uh, and basically, you know, eliminating eventually the, the Catastrophic Claims Association. That's not something that Governor Whitmer is going to support. Are they going to have to move this process a little bit left if they actually want to do something? Because I think voters are actually paying attention to this issue.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just to clarify, we're we're even... We're, we're not even at the conference committee process yet. Um, we're, we're, we're not even there. There's, there's still more to go because mm-hmm. the House and the Senate passed totally different bills. Yeah. So um, the next step is, you know, the House taking up the Senate bill and vice versa. And the House isn't even back until next Tuesday because, you know, they had their late night. Now everybody has gone home to go to sleep. Um, you know, it's suckers like you and me. that are up right now. So, um <laughs> You know, we, we've got a ways to go for them, for the House and Senate Republican leaders to hash out their differences, possibly involve Democrats. Um, and, you know, if if this is a serious attempt, obviously the governor who wields the veto pen will be in the room.
0: Well, you know, interestingly enough, they, they were able to peel off a couple of Democrats uh, in the Senate on this issue, um, who are saying, look, you know, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We need to get some sort of relief in a city like Detroit. They're going to vote for anything that's going to lower rates immediately for residents there. But not enough of the Detroit delegation peeled off on this issue. uh, And and the House held pretty firm, uh, with the exception of a couple of people as well, if I'm not mistaken. But do you get a sense that that some of these urban lawmakers, um, you know, from places like Saginaw, Grand Rapids, Flint, Detroit, might be willing to make a deal if they think that they can get something immediately for their constituents.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, you know, uh, what came out of the house addressed some of their concerns and you're right, you know, for some lawmakers in Detroit, um, even a bill as heavily criticized as, as the Senate plan, um, you had a couple lawmakers, Sylvia Santana and Adam Allier who were willing to go for it because they just want to um, do something for their constituents. So, um, you know, we've we've moved off the position where a lot of Democrats were about a decade ago where it was. nope, the no fault system needs to stay in place. Um, you know, this is vital coverage for people who are in these catastrophic accidents and we're not moving now with the the huge rate increases that so many residents have seen, not just in Detroit, but statewide. I think most people understand that something, you know, needs to be done. They just don't want it to be a huge giveaway to the insurance industry. And they don't want it to be a, a situation where you do have these um, car crash survivors who are left holding the bag.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because the insurance lobby isn't exactly thrilled with all of this. I mean, they do not like being told uh, that they have to have a mandatory change in in policy prices. Uh, They also don't like being told what they can and can't factor into those decisions about who to cover and how much to charge them. Uh, So I I always look at a bill like this. If just about every group is ticked off about some aspect of this, maybe we're on the right track Uh, because everybody's going to have to give a little something. You get a sense that the, that the lobbyists, and especially the insurance lobby, may back off just a little bit on some of those non-driving factors if it means that they get rid of that unlimited no-fault system.
1: Yeah, I could see that being a situation. I mean, right now for the House plan, they basically punted it to the regulatory agency in, in the state to handle that as opposed to you know doing these hard mandates for the insurance industry. But I'm not sure that that's going to be enough to really get buy-in from Democrats. So, you know, they're probably, in order to have a successful solution, I think the insurance lobby is going to have to give in a little bit more, especially on those non-driving factors and the redlining issue.
0: Well, you know, interestingly enough, the Republicans, uh, you know, didn't include any of these sort of guaranteed rate reductions in their Senate package. Uh, They probably didn't want to necessarily put them in the House package, but recognize they probably need a couple of votes uh, from the other side if, indeed, they're going to at least get the uh, appearance of bipartisanship on something along these lines. Um, And so, you know, I look at this, these free marketeers on the Republican side thinking that the market is just going to regulate itself if, indeed, these conditions change. Is their level of faith strong enough um, to – Make them stand up for those, I I suppose, free market beliefs. They they don't seem to think that these companies are going to need the regulation uh, the way that the Democrats do.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the way that this that auto reform has been sold is that this is going to lower your rates. Well, you know, if you pass a package without mandating that, uh, I think that it's. Pretty hard to make the set sa- the sale to people and and to Democrats that the insurance industry of the goodness of their hearts are going to pass the savings on. Um, you know, it wasn't until we passed federal health care reform under former President Obama that anybody's rates came down. Sure. and um, you know, uh, I, I don't really think anybody expects that the auto insurance industry works any differently. Um, you know, you. Uh, what you may very well see if there is no um, requirement is, you know, Hey, your bill went down initially. And then the next one you write back where you were before. Um, so I think Republicans ideally like the Senate version. Um, and, and, and that's probably what the insurance industry would like too. But if, if your main reason to, um, Take on something this massive is to sell to the public, look, we lowered your rates. You're going to have to have some language on that because otherwise um, people do check their auto insurance bills, obviously, and they're going to see that nothing's really changed.
0: Well, I I do like one aspect of the House package, and I think I've got this right, but instead of being able to raise your rates and then justify it later to the regulators, they would actually have to apply for a rate increase, similar to what the utilities have to do in the state, before they can apply that increase. That is one safety that we haven't had here in the state for a long time, and it seems like something that the Republicans might be willing to give on.
1: Yeah, um, and that is a critical difference. Um, You know, we've seen that um, the utilities um, have chafed against that, but so far that's held for them. Um, so, you know, you have the process in place, it's, it's worked out. Um, it, it's kind of hard to make the argument that, you know, it would be, you know, really damaging to the industry because I don't think any of the utilities seem to be hurting. Um, and, and that's a, a compromise place. Um, again, a difference between the House and Senate packages.
0: Well, last question for you, Susan, and I appreciate the time. My guest again, Susan Demas, who is the editor at MichiganAdvanced.com, frequent guest here on the program, talking about all things happening at the state capitol. Uh, you know, you take a look at this. You mentioned, of course, that, that this is geared towards the Mackinac Policy Conference. I'm guessing that you and I will be sitting on that porch listening to legislators talk about this and try to figure out some sort of a solution. Uh, despite the fast-track appearance of this, you seem to think that this is going to be slow-walked from here on out.
1: Um, You know, because there are so many steps to go before this would end up on Governor Whitmer's desk, um, you know, you can have committee hearings or you can pass legislation back and forth to have the appearance of, of doing something without coming up with a solution, or you can do the hard work and negotiate. Um, at this point, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. But ultimately, if this is part of a budget solution, um, realistically, I don't think we're going to see a resolution until the fall.
0: Damn, probably not. So it's the long, hot summer we wait for in Lansing. Susan Demas, thank you very much for your time. We always appreciate getting your perspective. Thanks. Thank you. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, this is The Craig Show. Thanks very much for being with me on this Thursday. And we learned yesterday, of course, of the passing of Bob Berg. Now, many of you may not know Bob. He was the spokesperson for many years for Detroit Mayor Coleman Young. He was recommended for the job by Bill Milliken, a Republican governor. Who, uh, he, and, of course, Bob had worked in Lansing in the Capitol Press Corps there back when it was a huge deal and uh, was really good at his job and, of course, got tapped to be Mayor Young's spokesperson and did that job for about 10 years. In fact, seeing uh, seeing it through to the end— Uh, and often taking on a much bigger role as Coleman Young struggled with some illnesses late in his career as as mayor of the city of Detroit. And he saw him through some pretty big scandals and some pretty big uh, press events. And in the very tail end of his career uh, as the spokesperson for Mayor Young, That was the very beginning of my reporting career here in Detroit, and I, of course, was covering the Young Administration for the first year or so of my job at WDET, and I got to know Bob a little bit back then. Uh, He was always somebody that was fair to deal with. If he thought something that you were asking about or, or questioning was unfair, he would push back, but always in a respectful manner, make his point, make his argument. You give him an opportunity to do that, but you push back when you want to, and he always respected you for that and did it in a respectful manner. And I, of course, got to know him a little bit later on when I became a host, a talk show host, in that he was helping to uh, arrange interviews for me for the PR firm that he went on to found called Berg Muirhead, uh, which is now known as Van Dyke Horn. And so I got to know Bob a little bit uh, on a personal level throughout those times and and, uh, our interactions and negotiating over which guests were going to be coming on the program and whether or not we could get somebody. Uh, And he was a really, really great person to work with because you knew where he stood at all times. He never gave you any BS. He never lied to you. And he would just tell you what he was thinking about certain things. If you thought you were on the right track, the wrong track, doesn't mean we always agreed. But he never held it against me if we disagreed. And I never held it against him if we disagreed because I knew that he was trying his best to get me the information or the guests that I wanted to talk to. And I really respected him for that. And, you know, then I got to know him a little bit better a few years later when I was working in the mayor's office and and working at the land bank and the communications team there. You know, I did hit him up for some advice on a couple of different occasions about how he dealt with troublesome situations, how he dealt with stressful situations. Because when when somebody or an organization has problems, uh, it typically is the press person that that deals with a lot of the brunt of that wrath, whether it's from reporters who feel that they're not getting answers properly, or that are anxious to get new information and, and advance a story and the phone rings constantly, and it doesn't stop. That stuff happens. And he gave me some really, really good advice and just said, remember, it's not you they're mad at. It's not you that their wrath or their or their anxiety is, is targeted at. You just happen to be the one standing in the line of it at the time. And just remember, it will pass. Do your best. Tell the truth. Give them the information that they want when you can, and just let it go. It's not you. And it doesn't sound like anything earth-shattering, but it was really, really important at the time and helped see me through some times that were kind of difficult. And I've talked a bit about some of this on some of the other shows. Dealing with, with a lot of the press attention and, and some of the negative stuff that came down was, was not an easy thing to deal with, and it is what I signed up for, and I knew that. But it doesn't mean that the stress doesn't eat at you a little bit. And he helped me sort of withstand that, and I saw him always sort of unflappable in that role when he was dealing with some pretty significant investigations into Mayor Young's office and some of the people that were there and dealing with scandals involving the police chief at the time and and a sludge hauling contract and some other things that were going on. It was not an easy time, but you never saw him getting nonplussed. You never saw him getting freaked out. You never saw him screaming at anybody. If he did want to yell at somebody, he would always do it behind closed doors. And again, he would always let you know it wasn't personal. He was fighting for his boss. He was fighting for what he deemed to be the truth in the story, And he would fight and advocate for that position. He showed a lot of people who are doing this work today in the city of Detroit how to do their jobs better. And for that, I'll always be thankful. And Bob, we're going to miss you. And, uh, you know, he was just a good man. And if you didn't know him... um, You know, I I hope you look it up, and and it's just too bad that he never got a chance to to write that book about Coleman Young that I think had sort of been banging around in his brain for a long time because he knew more about that man than just about anybody and uh, did his job very, very well. So Bob Berg will be missed. Thanks, everybody, for checking out the show today. I certainly do appreciate it. And we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, we will talk about the week that was uh, with uh, Nancy Derringer and Alan Lengel of Deadline Detroit. We'll talk about the stories on Deadline that got a lot of traction this week, the stuff that you were interested in. We always have a lot of fun with that. Don't forget, we'll live stream that as well on Facebook, so you'll get a chance to watch that. Look for it probably around 11, 1130 tomorrow. Somewhere in that range is what we usually try to do. And of course, it'll be available in podcast form as well as is everything on this show don't forget send me messages send me feedback the Craig show at gmail.com and you can of course find me all over social media any of the platforms that you like so we'll be back tomorrow we'll have some fun with the week that was and don't forget monday we'll do the monday follies which i'm looking forward to as well have a great day everybody stay dry we'll talk tomorrow Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And
1: I've been here my whole life.
0: So we started a podcast together. It's called The d Brief.
1: Detroit's Arts and Entertainment Podcast. We
0: cover concerts, comedy, plays, food,
1: drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast?
0: Hey, this is Mark Curlyancic, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi,
1: I'm Ian Delici, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET.
0: Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling
1: Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts the Detroit. To Detroit news. Public Theater.
0: Shakespeare the 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 in Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast.
1: The Debrief Podcast.
0: We like to say, Detroit's moving.
1: Keep up. The
0: Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.